This episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Today is what even is today? June fifth. <laughs> it's the fourth. It's, it's June fourth. Yes. Um, as I said the first time, you'll of course cut that part where I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> it's June fourth. We are um, going to talk about a bunch of fun things today, I think. Um, but before we get to any of that, as ever, how about the basic rundown? Yeah, so it is the start of the month, so we don't have any of this month's special episodes yet, but we will have three coming, including a query show and a first pages show. So if you want to be in that show, send us your query or your first page or both to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Also, um, last week we released something that was kind of new and exciting for us. It was a Ask Print Run episode, a mm-hmm. question and answer episode that we did. It's a, it's, it's a honker. It's about an hour long um, where we go through and we answer specific questions by listeners like you. And then we kind of go into depth to into um, the, the, the question itself and then the situation behind it. So I really enjoyed doing it. I would love to do more. So give it a listen and let us know what your thoughts are. We also got like a pretty good response in terms of questions um and like we've got them all like when you, we we um we got stuff that we didn't get to on air and um we will definitely do an episode again where we can kind of get to the ones that we didn't quite cover the last hour so yeah. thanks keep sending stuff and we'll yeah. get to it all right so eric mm-hmm. i think we should get into the most important things uh-huh. first of which is that i've known this the entire time that uh <laughs> Pitch Wars is going to be having a pitch event on Twitter this Thursday, June 7th. And I knew that without you needing to tell me. And I didn't discover it right before the show started. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely both known about this for much longer than 90 seconds ago. Months. Um, And I would just say on that, that if you are um, thinking of doing that, if you are planning to do some pitching online, um, we have a Twitter pitch episode as well on our Patreon. So go look for that. We kind of get it how to... Um, how to kind of condense your pitch into 280 characters. Um, you know, the, your parents used to have to do it in 140 characters, kids. Uh, <laughs> but uh, When I was your age. Yeah, so we got, um, we have stuff there for you too if you're looking for a resource on how to kind of tighten up your pitch in advance of what should be a pretty lively um, little session. So Yeah, so take a listen. Um, one other thing that's not forthcoming, but it is something that happened last week, mm-hmm. was BEA, 2018's Book Expo America, <laughs> the biggest trade show in the United States. Is it? I don't is know. I'm still making BEA? that up. No, I, mean, no uh, I, think you, I think you're right that it's that, but I think, didn't they change its name now? Isn't it not no, BEA? No, it's Book Expo. It's like just Book Expo now I think they, c- they cut the America, yeah. but you know Good what? Good choice on that. <laughs> it's always America. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I spent a riveting weekend, uh-huh. uh, a riveting BEA weekend, mostly not being at BEA. Actually, yeah. 100% not yeah. being at BEA. Um, so although I feel like I was there because of the posts. <laughs> That's the thing at this point. Like the actual being there experience of BEA, like 
if anyone's got some cool booth or something, like, you can pretty much just see it online, you know, like, sure, maybe, like, they've got, like, a good reading or something, and you can, you know, but even that, like, you can sort of just kind of, you can sort of piece together the experience Mm -hmm. from the uh, forced solitude of your own home office, as (laughs) as I did. One thing, though, that I was not expecting is Uh they put Trevor Noah and Barbara Kingsolver on the same panel together, and that is something that I, my small little mind never even imagined that do, that could be like do you know what they were talking about no clue okay yeah See, i have this, no idea this is the bea coverage people come to us for um, <laughs> i would say also you know i'm kind of scrolling the galley list here if anyone has a copy of jonathan lethem's the feral detective mm. i would love a copy of that and also please no one tell me what that book is about um i choose to just think it's about a cat who solves crimes and if you <laughs> And if you send Eric, like, an old copy of, like, a Franzen book or something, he won't notice because they're all Jonathans. Yeah, no, any Jonathan will do. Um, if, if you're a Jonathan and you just, like, happen to write your grocery list or something, send me that. That'll be just like a galley. Um, yeah, that would be really nice. That would be really nice. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson was there. Uh, he's got, like, some book about war or something now. Like, we've decided to let Neil deGrasse Tyson weigh in on, like, real things other than yeah. just, like, his little grandpa jokes the, about physics. The unspoken alliance between astrophysics and the military is the um, is the subtitle for yeah. his book, Accessory to War. The only thing is, okay, so here here's my thought, Eric. Mm-hmm. I like loved Neil deGrasse Tyson when he was doing like the Carl Sagan reboot, like when he was just like teaching people about how, you know, we're tiny and stuff. When he was staying in his lane. When he was staying in his lane. But then he started like getting off all these tweets about how like nobody studies how like, you know, thinking affects society. And it's like, I'm over here waving my arms being like liberal arts, Neil. He's one of the singular worst people online. Yeah. I will say it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I just, like, I wish he, like, knew that liberal arts existed when he, like, bemoaned people's lack of, like, attention to art and science and everything that puts... Anyway. Anyway. That is my own personal feeling. Do not let my lovely fiancé hear that because he will cry. Mm. He loves Neil deGrasse Tyson. Wow. Fun fact. When he had his wisdom teeth out a couple years ago, uh-huh. he was just like waking up from the anesthesia and I was driving him home <laughs> and he asked me to have Neil deGrasse Tyson come over. Yeah. Like he just like really wanted him to come over. If I was on like painkillers and stuff, I would definitely want to talk to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like he's kind of the perfect guy for that. You both can just like have a completely incoherent conversation yeah. about whatever it is. Um, just like looking through these galleys because I know that like one year, one segment we did that I kind of liked, we did that thing where we kind of combed through the galley list and i'm just kind of looking now and um it looks like shane bauer has a book about american prison that looks kind of cool um otessa mosfei has a new book coming out we've talked about her on the show before um i don't know it seems like some good things i mean i guess you know the real thing with bea is you get to go and like see people you know like you get to like hang out with editors and agents and um really talk about the weather in the javits center (laughs) that is what you talk about it's so cold in here but it's so hot out there there i just had every bea conversation (laughs) and also (laughs) how cold was this hot dog but how expensive yeah exactly yeah um so there it is that's that's all of bea that's really great um the Most. the book sculptures. I did not see any truly momentous book sculptures this year. Remember like that one nobody year? constructed a throne. They were all just yeah. wells. Yeah. The, the well I don't know that I've ever seen a throne. Wow. Oh yeah. Make- Victoria Schwab had a throne once. 
Um, yeah. yeah. So she had one. Obviously, George R. R. Martin gets the thrones. Yeah. Um, but it's nice. It's it's fun. The only problem is that in like two minutes, all of the bloggers have like yeah. you know just picked gone it clean to, like the vultures they are. Yeah, like just full tackle yeah. football there, just trying to get the arcs. Yeah. yeah. So. I didn't, but that doesn't mean that they didn't exist. Like maybe these beautiful like monstrosities right. existed, but we just didn't see it. So. Remember that one year they had the lead singer of Corn stand next to a book well, and nobody and was in line to see him. Yeah, that was strange because I thought he was going to be kind of popular. But. I yeah, I actually was gonna have a signing by him, but then I realized that I really just didn't care about his memoir. I just like wanted my thirteen year old self to like get uh-huh. an album signed. Um, do you know who was there this year, though? Who? Um, Mariska Hargitay, who oh. is Detective Olivia Benson from Law & Order SVU. Yeah, I had a crush on her for a while. Yeah, so like did everybody. Everybody did, right? Yeah, yeah. everybody totally right. did. I mean, did you see those cheekbones? Like, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. But she was there just, like, walking around like a regular old soccer mom mm-hmm. because her husband, who apparently is also an actor but doesn't have the cheekbones. Um, you actually can't go into BEA without the proper cheekbone. Yeah. They'll never let us in. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never be able to go ever again. Uh, But yeah, he wrote like a picture book or something. But I was more excited about, you know, Olivia Benson walking around reading our books. Yeah. So anyway, so that was BEA. You heard it here from, from, from the people in the know. Uh-huh. From the people in the know. <laughs> we actually might be the people least in the know, which is why you come to us. Um, because yeah. it's not going to stop us from talking about it, folks. No. Uh- <laughs> no, it's really not. Yeah. It's really not. So one of the one of the first um, big things we wanted to kind of talk about today um, beyond that is um, there was this article that came out. Goodreads posted it, and I and many other members of kind of book Twitter thought it was thought it was pretty interesting because what this thing does is it sort of it traces the kind of I guess the phrase that I kept coming back to is like the anatomy of a bestseller, right? And we've kind of talked about we've done that concept before, but um, it takes a look at the success of uh, Celeste Ng's uh, Little Fires Everywhere, right? And basically, it kind of posits, and it uses some really interesting graphs and stuff, and it kind of talks about this ongoing campaign that led up to publication about how exactly this publisher used this platform, Goodreads, um, as a means of kind of driving conversation beforehand and and then um, kind of executing basically a marketing and publicity strategy that ended up with the book um, being a pretty steady presence on the bestseller list. In fact, we... We did a writing by reading on this one. We didn't sure we? did. Yeah, like we love this book. I mean, it's it was much better than her first one. Yeah. The first one was excellent. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a solid book. Um, and but I guess what kind of really felt refreshing to me about this piece that kind of came out, and we'll you know we'll link out to it, and I think we even did the other day, but um, is it really kind of tried to trace the steps, right? And like one thing I don't know, you know, for people who haven't spent a ton of time in house, it can really feel like the like success path for a book is it's incredibly murky and you're kind of groping in the dark and you're doing things that um, you're hoping are going to work and you know you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants depending on the situation but here we kind of got what seems to be a very well coordinated and executed strategy and I think that one thing that's going to come from this is and we'll kind of kind of get into what they did here um, it feels on its face very replicable Mm-hmm. Right, like it feels like the sort of thing where, hey, 
this is it. This is how you create a bestseller if you're in-house or if you're, you know, I know I saw a lot of authors kind of looking at this and being like, hey, this is something that maybe, you know, I, you know, you can sort of generate some of these things yourself and to some extent it's true. Something you can learn from, yes. But but you and I were having a conversation about this earlier today and, you know, um, we sort of arrived at this conclusion that maybe this this path was a little bit more of an outlier than perhaps it's being presented here in the article? Yeah. I mean, so this 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 case study, uh-huh. I guess you could say, yeah. um, you know, doesn't necessarily mention right off the bat that this is a sophomore book. This is a mm-hmm. book that is following up from a, a relatively and actually quite successful first book. Yeah. Critically acclaimed, um, sold very well, etc. Um, so that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But the the other thing that I noticed is even though, you know, there's lots of great takeaways from this particular case study, there there wasn't anything like earth shattering here. Yeah. Like all of the strategies are just the same strategies everybody else uses, but they're used to great effect. There was no one weird trick. There there was, there was no one weird trick. It was just kind of all of the same, the monetary investment, the time investment, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the lead up, et cetera. The outreach campaign, which is something I want to touch on. Exactly. Yep. So this will take us through um, through publication by mm-hmm. a few months. The book, mm-hmm. I think, came out in September, and this data goes through April of 2018. Okay? Which is also long. For That's a very how, long time. <laughs> like, in, like, most of the time, like, seven months past publication date, you're lucky if you're getting attention <laughs> from yeah. the press you're working with, you know? So that also is somewhat of an outlier that we're still even debating that. Yeah. But, you know, this article is worth reading in its entirety, and we'll kind of get down to the specific tactics. But one thing to kind of take with a grain of salt, beyond the fact that, like, Celeste Ng was a successful author before this book, mm-hmm. is that this is a case study published by Goodreads. Uh-huh. And so Goodreads, like, the metrics used are people shelving this book onto the want-to-read shelves for themselves, mm-hmm. right? So, and and kind of the number of reviews and the number of stars it gets, Mm-hmm. So those are the metrics. It doesn't really have any data on actual sales. It doesn't have any data kind of focusing beyond that that homegrown Goodreads metric, which we have argued before on this show is like what's most important is that homegrown kind of readership and interest. Um, but my question, Eric, mm-hmm. is do you think this case study downplays at all um, the attention or the effects of media beyond Goodreads. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think that is what's at the fundamental heart of this is, is the connection that they're trying to draw here and one that you can actually make with full certainty because you're exactly right. Like we're, we're given here a really, really interesting chart. Like to be clear, I think this is a fascinating article. And very valuable. Um, yeah, yes. no, really good in a lot of ways. Um, but you're given a chart of activity on Goodreads and like it's trending on their site because people were adding it to their want list when before it came out. And then the thing they were reading, like this was a book that kind of tracked with how it was discussed on this site. And then, you know, the other piece of data we know is that it spent all this time on the New York Times bestseller list. Yep. Right. So we know there were sales. We know that there was activity on Goodreads. The question is how it sounds like you're asking me how much 
of a correlation can we draw between those two things, right? Yeah, I mean this is this is a this is a marketing case study yeah. for success. Yeah. And I'm wondering you know, how much effort and how many man hours did sure. the publicity department of Penguin put into this book that didn't, you know, yeah. right. isn't isn't seen in like adding things to want to to your want to yeah. read shelf. So I mean, I guess I mean, honestly, I'm going to say that, and this is kind of conjecture just based on industry instinct and what we know, um, I think that you could look at this and have, without have knowing the sales, like let's say we just were given this kind of information mm -hmm. in the circumstances, and I bet you could look at this and say, you know what, I bet that book sold pretty well. Yeah, that's Because true. I think that this sort of stuff really does matter. And I think that, you know, one thing that happened in this, you know, this arc, and we should kind of get into it here. Like one thing that, you know, the publicity team at Penguin Press did for this book that seemed really smart is kind of before um, they got review copies out to all kinds of, you know, Goodreads reviewers. And, um, you know, they kind of outlined this pronged strategy, right, where it goes like from booksellers to libraries to media people to readers. You know, they, they've got these like four different um, types of people yeah. that they really made sure to kind of hit with review copies in turn, you know. And yeah, they didn't do it all at once. Exactly. Like they, and it kind of started with, um, you know, it started with booksellers, started with the with, Wintered Institute. Yeah. And so I think we've mentioned Winter Institute before, but basically it's just like this little bookseller conference where presses kind of talk about what they've got coming up. And it's specifically for like presses to talk to bookstores. You know, it's a smaller thing than BEA, but it's sort of like this little, um, you know, industry discussion doesn't really have much in the way. It's not like a public facing event. You know, it's just sort of like a um, industry conference. But um, they brought Celeste to that, and what was strategic about that is it got her in front of all the people who would then be in charge of buying books for the stores, mm -hmm. right, and the various retailers. And where I think it really helped that she is a repeat author is a lot of them already knew her, yeah. right? And so they would say, hey, she's got another book coming out. You remember her from this. She's got another one. Here's a review copy of it. You know, and suddenly before this thing even, you know, really got rolling, because that was really early in the process. That was before right? the book was available for pre-order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like suddenly the bookstores are already kind of talking about it and they're already kind of excited and buzzed. Right. And that's really great. Like that is a perfectly, um, you know, I, you know, haven't been in house before. Like that's definitely something that you sort of mm -hmm. pick which authors are going to go to Winter Institute for us, because those are like you get it's kind of a smaller thing. So it's like you get one, you know. Like, who are you going to come bring and show off to the people you want to get most excited about buying their books for stores? And so they did that, and then they moved um, to... They started, they started sending stuff to, you know, um, Goodreads reviewers. Yeah. You know? And, and that's, that, that yeah. coincided with the time that the book was available for pre-order. Mm -hmm. um, because that's, like, that, that moment when real people can buy the book... Mm -hmm is the point where you like you don't want to build the buzz with, you know, the general public before that happens because then all that excitement doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Right? And so they That's said like a it, very careful dance. It's a very careful dance because you don't want the book to be um, like you want it to be an event, right? Because you essentially have an event before publication that's exciting. So there's even like a little tick in the chart that's in this case study where it's, you know, Celeste announces the book is available for pre-order. Mm -hmm. And that's actually really interesting phrasing, Eric. Yeah. That Ng herself listed it as available for pre-order. So very much, you know, it wasn't just 
you know, the 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 publisher saying, hey, you can buy this now. Um, it was like very carefully, you know, orchestrated so that the author who had fans and had a book already that was successful could come out and break this big news like it was the news of, you know, getting published in the first mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. or, you know, a similar event like that. Yep. Um, so I think that's clever. I think I that's very clever. No, I mean, I think that um, that part is another way where they really capitalized on her platform, mm-hmm. you know, and her, the fact that she, I mean, not only is she a successful author, but one thing about Celeste Ng is that she is, you know, she's pretty social media savvy. Like, you'll find her, you know, tweeting a lot and doing stuff. Like, you can really kind of, and she'll even engage every now and then, you know, like, we've tweeted back and forth with the loon, actually, you know, with Celeste Ng before. Like, she, um, you know, she's on there, and she kind of leveraged that. Um, into getting people excited beforehand. And so that bit, you know, I I spent a lot of time thinking today, kind of like what you were saying, because you really challenged it, and I thought it was really smart. Like, how replicable is any of this? And that was the bit that I thought that might actually be able to be copied, at least to some increment. The idea that you could cultivate a social media following that was excited about what you had to say, that would be interested when you said something like, hey, my book is now available for pre-order. Yeah. You know, like that is something that you don't necessarily have to be an absolute superstar to, ha- to be able to do. You that's know? something you don't need money for either. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and it's worth mentioning that since, um, since this book came out, Goodreads now charges a very large amount of money to do Goodreads giveaways. Mm-hmm. So before when you could just, you know, throw 10 copies at people and then hope a bunch of people add it to their want to read list, like there is now a barrier to entry there. You know, there's a barrier of entry of going on NetGalley and Edelweiss. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a barrier of, to entry to getting, you know, a cover reveal on EW.com. Like, those yeah. are all a lot of things yeah. that smaller authors are just not going to be able to do. But what you can do is buzz. Yeah. And another thing that you can do, Eric, which I just found mind boggling, um, is you can get your book in the hands of influencers. This part was crazy to me. So, okay. So I would first like to interject that I dearly want to become an influencer. Like you thought my quest for the blue check on Twitter was over. Still going, by the way. It's still Still going. Year later, we still don't have that check. Shut up. (laughs) I've switched it to Goodreads because you know Uh, what I want? I want like a little plot point on a map like this where I'm just given one name. So, um... In March, a Goodreads <laughs> reviewer named Maxwell, Hell yeah, Maxwell, who was given an arc, um, he posted a pop like a like a five star review of Little Fires Everywhere, um, and there was this huge, spike. huge, huge spike in at like in one day, like almost a hundred and fifty people adding it to their you know want to read shelf. Like, that is insane. Like, one person. And then that, you know, that that stays there for a long time. Like, there was a big enough spike for that with, um, you know, Celeste Ng announcing that the book is available for pre-order and the Winter, Winter Institute combined yeah, and that, then some. That, compar- that comparative data is really, like, we're looking at this thing here where, yeah, it basically says, like, Max, like Maxwell, this person on just this like account on Goodreads, like this one person. Just this one dude. The influence there according to this was more influence was more influential than um her book appearing in in an electric literature roundup it was more influential than celeste announcing the book and being a winner institute like it's like we've kind of reached a point where um 
you know, some of this, these like big mouth reviewers, right? Like book reviewers or people who talk about books online to a large audience that trust them. Um, they matter just as much as this other stuff. And like, I know that this is um, a Goodreads article. And so like the, they're trying to emphasize the fact that they really, um, you know, kind of held sway in this. And Celeste herself has said that um, she felt the platform was critical to the book's success. But one thing that really I'm looking at here and just feeling like, you know, all of this is just totally devoid of like legacy media. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like none of this takes into account anything like, hey, did the book get reviewed in the New York Times? It did. Did the book get, you know, plugged on any shows? Did she show up anywhere? And she did all those things. But like all of none of this stuff requires the usual big giant, you know, prestigious gatekeepers, you know, to kind of generate like we've sort of reached this idea where you know, publishers are spending more and more um, energy and literal, you know, production, like copies of these arcs, right? They're sending them to just accounts on Goodreads, you know what I mean? Like, you can become someone that a publisher will look at and say, it's actually better if we can get you to talk about the book to your little following on, you know, the book internet. Not so little. Not yeah, You know, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, I found that part to be kind of watershed to me. Yeah. Like, this idea that... Um, this Maxwell review wasn't like a like a one thing though you know there was another influential review by uh, Angela M who is one of the top 25 reviewers on Goodreads I didn't know they ranked reviewers but now I'm just filled with even more envy Um, and then there were a few others you know for example Emily May and Melissa reviews like they like two women who just have reviews, you know, and then there's, you know, multiple instances of other people reviewing this work favorably that has a bigger jump than, you know, the NPR interview, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's just crazy. One, I mean, the relation to, um, to other sources of media is really interesting too, because one thing we have here is this idea that, you know, lists like Buzzfeed or, you know, places that, you know, or do a good job of talking about books, right? Like the kind of cover, you know, hey, hot new books this season, you know, a lot of those places are actually going by Goodread trends, you know, like the way they're deciding, hey, what should we put on our list is actually coming from, you know, data from some of these social sites, whereas, whereas I feel like it used to be kind of considered the other way around, you know, like you would see a book on a list and then you would go talk about it. Yeah. Whereas now it's sort of like an added step is going where, no, people are talking about it before you've told them to. Yeah. Then you're making a list based on things they're already talking about so you can get it to more people. And then this sort of cycle just starts kind of feed itself, you know? And it's that snowball effect yeah. that everybody's looking for. Yeah. So, Eric, mm-hmm. um, there's a couple of points that I want to ask you as somebody who's, you know, been inside the, the you know, the editorial machine as it were sure um so one of the things that i found really interesting is that there is a huge new year's spike Mm -hmm. in ratings and you know theoretically sales for Mm -hmm. this book why (laughs) like i i mean like maybe you're just gonna pull that out of your ass but like why yeah i don't know i mean like it's not i mean at least here i mean you know there were you know she looks like she won an award on you know she won uh, best fiction you know uh, in 27 on December 5th of 2017 so you're coming at least here you're coming on the heels of a um 
you know, of some of a prize announcement. That always helps. You've also got Christmas right in there. So, you know, theoretically, if this is site data, people are, you know, there's there's sort of a chance for like some generational stuff. Like in terms of, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, like in terms of like a New Year's spike, I mean, some of it is, you know, people, you know, make people make resolutions to read, you know, people like kind of mm. join, kind of get on these sites, you know, early you get those on Barnes and Noble gift cards yeah, for exactly. Christmas. Like, it is a good time to like buy books, you know, like, and it's always, it's always kind of been like, especially like coming out of the holidays and stuff. Cause everybody gets gift cards. Everybody gets, um, you know, everybody's buying stuff for other people. Like, but I would say like, at least to me, like some of it is the fact that by this point, so we're in, um, we're in, uh, what, three months after publication at this yeah. point on new year's on 2018. Um, you know, they, they use an analogy in here that I think is really interesting. Um, they talk about how, um, you know, pu- you know, publicizing books is about, you know, launching a rocket into orbit, right? Like you use all your energy getting it off the ground and then it just kind of rotates, you know, it goes itself once you've got it into orbit. And, you know, this feels like, you know, that sort of section where, um, you know, things are just kind of happening in a self-sustaining way. That snowball effect has kicked in, you know. And things are now generating more things and, you know, things are just kind of rolling. And um, I don't know, like the, you know, the New Year's bump, I mean, it feels like kind of the culmination of all this, of all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you kind of see it sort of dips then and what you kind of get is that sort of typical, um, you know, now you're a few months out, people stop talking about it, things kind of fade a little. And obviously, you know, then there's, you know, it get it got picked up as a TV series a little bit later. You know, down in, um, you know, late mid February, and you know that helped and everything. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, some of it, you know, at, and at this point, I think more than any of the other stuff, this is the stuff that feels a little bit less replicable, right? Like in a way, you know, this article kind of presents itself not quite as a how to. But almost, you know, like it sort of presents itself as having tips, you know, and like takeaways and things. Mm-hmm. And this is the part that feels a little bit less takeaway to me um, because we're talking about like TV adaptation and like prestigious awards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, as I was reading this, I found out about this through social media and I heard a lot of writers saying, oh my gosh, this is so much work. I don't know how I can do this, mm-hmm. um, you know, like this or or on the other side, hey, you know, like now I have the magical key to success. <laughs> um, and I think the key here is that you can't look at all of this as being replicable. You know, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars dumped in to creating arcs into paying Goodreads for a newsletter. Mm-hmm. In, you know, like having all sorts of all sorts of stuff, you know, bringing an author to a physical event. So we've got kind of a we've got an exceptional case here. I think we both agree. Sure. But if you're looking at this and you are trying to say if you're not even like you're talking to, you know, aspiring authors or anything, but you're talking to, you know, other agents or you're talking to small presses and like, you know, you. You, you're going somewhere and you're now strategizing on the next book you're getting ready to launch, whatever it is, one of your clients, anybody. Like, what do you think from this, if anything, is pullable? Like, do, like I guess maybe the way I want to phrase it as simply as possible is like, did you learn anything from this like that you feel you found to be applicable for your own, you know, sort of publishing use? Yes. Um, 
one of the things that drives me crazy is that people online and you know like we live our life i mean i know that like some of you are listening right now and you're rolling your eyes because i mentioned twitter again um but like the truth is is that like a huge portion of the world lives their life online right now Mm -hmm. and there is this kind of idea that writers like once you become a writer once you're like trying to move in this industry um you kind of have to be fine with never sharing your opinion publicly again about something that's like critical or negative or something. Um, And one thing that really, I think the thing that stuck with me the most, Eric, is that Ing was on Goodreads for 10 years before this thing happened. Mm -hmm. Like she was an av, she was an early adopter. She was an avid user. Mm -hmm. And so she was respected not only for the work that she did, but she was also a presence that interacted with people but more importantly it it was like an authentic appearance because she rates her own books she shows you what she's rating she's been using it forever and in that way you know so much we you know we talk about like the great thing about this digital age that we're living in is that writers now have the chance more than you know any other time to speak to authors and authors or to speak to readers, sorry. And readers want that and expect that. And they want more from the writer than just, you know, the canned responses that they give and the art and the, and you know, the work that they produce. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, you know, if you're looking at somebody and you love their work and you love where their mind, you know, the way that their mind is and the books that they produce. And then, you know, like you ask them, okay, what's your favorite book? Like yeah. there's there is so much that can't be manufactured through a hardworking publicity team that can be manufactured with a simple three star review that's well thought out. Yeah. Like that to me is like, you know, they talk they touch on it really, really early on in this case study. But like, honestly, y- like the fact that she was on Goodreads is maybe more important, if not as important with the snowball effect on Goodreads. As like the booksellers liking it. I agree. I mean, it gets it gets at that idea that, um, you know, the best way to kind of use these spaces is to quit trying to sell people things. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What what made it work for her was that she was on there for a decade, you know, just being a part of the community. Right. Like she was developing relationships. She was reviewing other people's work. She was talking about other people's stuff. And. Then when it was time for her own thing to come up, she had sort of cultivated this ground already, you know, and I think that that is something, you know, as I, you know, work with authors, you know, moving forward, um, and it's definitely something I look for in finding clients, like, are they active in any kind of real way and trying to cultivate an authentic community around them or being a part of some other, you know, like, are they engaging with others in a way that might be able to be kind of tapped into later on, you know, and um, I think that this is a great example of that. And obviously, you know, so much of the success of this book kind of hinged on people really being excited in the first place for a new Celeste Ng book. But um, there are things in here that I think she does that are really savvy and really, um, I, you know, I guess like replicable is reductive because yeah. like, like we said, none of this stuff is like, no one reinvented the wheel here, you know? Everything that was done by Goodreads and everything that was done by this um, publicity department is things that I would expect for any book. Just done 
strategically and done on a larger scale. Yeah, no, totally. Eric, I have a question for you. Um, So I think there's a big difference, and we've talked about it on this show before, like the difference between a bestseller flash in the pan Mm -hmm. and a bestseller like this, where, you know, we have consistent data for a year and a half that's basically... um, you know, incredible sales numbers, you know, I, and that's a book that lasts. And that's kind of the, the, that's the je ne sais quoi, right. Uh That we've been trying to break down here. Right. And I think at the end of this case study, it mentions that Goodreads is a tool to support the meritocracy of reading, right? Like that a book will only do this if it is good. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Because obviously, like, you and I both love this book. This is an yeah. incredible book. Celeste Ng is an incredible writer. Yeah. Everybody is right here. Like, everybody who gives this book a five star is right in our sure. opinion. Sure. Do you think that a bad book will do the same thing? I mean, I, if we look to, you I think know, that you could, I, if you're asking me, could you put a bad book through this system and get good results? I think that the answer is yes. Okay. Explain Explain that. Well, I just think that so much of this stuff is independent of the writing itself, basically. I mean, you know, you could have a person who isn't a very good writer, you know, be incredibly publishing savvy, be incredibly, you know, able to kind of be a part of these conversations, you know, deft online, do these things, very presentable, you know, maybe they've got, you probably need a book that has like, a sexy pitch or something, something that kind of can grab people. But like, no, I think, and I think it's, there's probably examples all over the place of like, just kind of average books that really kind of catch on purely because all the other ancillary details of the, its promotion are done exactly right. And that people like stories. Like it doesn't matter if they're always beautifully written. No, this is not, I, yeah. I guess to answer your question, this is not like, a track that is available only to like the fine literary gems of the world. You know, like this is, and I think it's good. I think that's good. Like you do want, you know, the system to be able to support itself because if it was purely, purely, purely about the writing, then you wouldn't need the system. You know, like yeah. it's this. You know, this sort of stuff should be able to provide its own value regardless of the book. And so, um, no, I think that um, you know, like like we've said a million times now, like lots of this stuff is you know, due to her um, and how talented she is. But some of that talent is the fact that she uses these kind of tools really effectively in a way that I think... um, Readers respond to. And in a way, like, I think what really grabbed me about this article um, and what made me really drawn to it early on was just, like, the dearth of actual data when you talk about this stuff in publishing usually. You know, like, you never get graphs in publishing. You never get, like... You know, well, graphs analytics. are scary, Eric. I know, but like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's just really cool to see. Hey, let's try to like quantify some of this stuff. Let's try to quantify buzz and word of mouth and all these other things that we're told are just like these murky concepts all the time. So, like, I found that attempt to be really worthwhile and really cool. So, yeah. Well, I I would love to see this with other types of books, or yeah. you know, I would love to see it with you know to compare books that just have a flash in the pan. Sure. I'd love to see it compared with books that people love and pan in equal measure, like Twilight. Mm-hmm. I would love to see, you know, this happen with a debut. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Goodreads, you should get on this. I know Goodreads <laughs> listens to our podcast. Definitely. Um, hello, Goodreads. Hello. 
Uh, sorry about what we say about your dad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Your new dad. Your, your new your dad. Stepdad. Yeah, your stepdad. Um, um, anyway. Okay. So, <laughs> well, so I guess, like, um, you know, the next thing, you know, I kind of wanted to get into, you know, a little bit today. You and got I, mad online again, I, didn't well, you? No, I got mad just, like, I don't know. Mad is probably even the wrong word. It probably fits. But, like, um... This is a week where that I had sort of been, you know, looking forward to from like a print run perspective for a while because this is, of course, the uh, the pub week of the president is missing the big ridiculous new. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, the big, you know, new James Patterson book that he like, you know, has Bill Clinton's name on the front, and it's like this big thriller, and like everybody's gonna buy it, and I had sort of like pictured. You know, you know, maybe you and I like could do something with it on the show. You know, we, we were could... gonna buy a hard copy yeah. and read chunks of it. Like it would have been fun. You know, like we could have good. T- we could have had a good time. But there had always been like this thing kind of lurking behind us. You know, in the back of my mind as we kind of went through it, or as this day kind of approached. And it was, and like today, this morning, it sort of happened in really in kind of full relief, and it really just kind of made me feel kind of gross about the whole thing, to be honest. And. It was just, you know, they went on the Today Show this morning. Uh, Bill Clinton did and James Patterson did. And Together as to, buds. Yeah, as, as co-authors, right? Like, they're, like, going around talking about this book. And, um, you know, the Today Show host, uh, I forget his name, he, um, you know, he asked a question about, you know, Monica Lewinsky stuff, right? He asked about, and it's, he did it kind of in light of, um, you know, the kind of the Me Too movement now and all these things. And... I mean, you can go look up the interview, but I thought that Bill Clinton's answer was pretty, pretty lacking and pretty kind of defensive and aggressive in a way that you could probably categorize as all sorts of bad things. And then in addition to it, you had James Patterson kind of agreeing with him and, you know, telling the interviewer that, you know, we should probably just stop talking about it, you know, and focus on all these other things. And it just got me thinking that, like, all of that was predictable. I mean, it was an entirely predictable line of questioning. You know, there was no way that this kind of stuff wasn't going to come up. And his response, apart from being weird and defensive and lackluster in all sorts of ways that ring even more true kind of in the, you know, ongoing national conversation that we're having about, you know, harassment and, you know, power dynamics and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, he also, there was this bit where he just kind of made this appeal to power, where he's like, well, what about all these other presidents? What about all these other stuff? And James Patterson kind of agreed with him. And all politics aside, one thing it really kind of made me think of is like, you know, that appeal to power suggests that they really kind of thought that this was something they were above, that this kind of conversation, you know, one that is deeply connected to the book world now, right? Like it's been, you know, we've seen other big name authors, you know, get embroiled in this. We've seen other, you know, industry professionals get embroiled in this. We've seen, you know, this is absolutely a book publishing conversation at this point, right? That these two who are who are book authors, right? Like the reason we're talking about it on this show is because these are two people who have who are now doing a publicity tour trying to get me to buy a book, and people will. This will hit number one and stay there for a very long time. Um, but it just felt like they thought that, you know, all this stuff was kind of separate from anything they should ever have to think about. You know, even though they, it's Bill Clinton, even though they're on a, you know, nationwide publicity tour that will surely hit every big outlet, 
And, you know, the, it just kind of also feels like the big giant publishing apparatus behind it um, agrees with them, you know? Like, this whole thing was kind of set... Like, this was a hitch today. Like, apparently no one thought that we were going to have to feel the question like that. And I just... I don't know. Like, I just think about all the things that, you know, all the conversations that we've been having and all the things we've seen unfold in publishing. And it really, you know, we talk a lot about kind of this split between sort of the up and coming authors and agents and editors, you know, and people trying to make it and how hard it is for, you know, people in the book world to kind of find their place. And then there's the, the other side, there's the big gulf. And then there's the big celebrity books and the giant, you know, advances for people we like often laugh at not deserving it and all that kind of, there's big publishing and there's little publishing, right? All the people who are in publishing are in little publishing. (laughs) And it just feels like, you know, everyone, you know, that we see discussing these things, you know, they're all part of this side of things that really feels like they have something to lose, right? That is trying to actually change the industry for the better and is trying to, you know, kind of, shift things in a way that doesn't just flippantly disregard, you know, entire, you know, cultural movements and, you know, about, you know, all sorts of serious things, you know, as they happen on, you know, national television, like it did this morning. And I don't know, it's just like, between that and, um, you know, just like I read a review of the book, and it sounds like it just like prevents this like fanciful, you know, vision of political life that really doesn't have any real bearing on anything that's actually happening and I don't know it's just like I'm just a little bit sad because it feels a lot less fun all of a sudden and it feels very like you know we we sort of laugh a lot about you know the JP book of the week and stuff and you know it's (laughs) I don't know it just sort of the luster kind of ran out for me because it's it feels like it's this other side of the power divide that really could care less about any of what feels like such urgent publishing conversations to our side of things, you know? I I know that as we move deeper and deeper into the Trump presidency, uh, we will be having more and more conversations about, you know, how do we turn little publishing into big publishing? Mm-hmm. How do we make yeah. them one and the same and how do we make it better? Um, you know, at this moment right now, I don't, we don't have any answers. I think the answer is you put pressure on these guys. Well, sure. Yeah, that'll do it. The answer is you keep is that even when it's, even when they're much bigger than you, even when this book is going to dominate the book sales world for the foreseeable future, you still bring it up. You know, you still say, hey, we, there's something off about this in a manner that, um, you know, is worth examining. Be yeah. Goodreads Maxwell and speak <laughs> stars to power. I'm going to get um, that on a pillow. Speak Be- stars to power. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's uh, just, I, in, I, I'm not here saying, hey, this book shouldn't exist. I'm here. It's not even that I'm like against the book. I'm not against, I'm not against anything. What I'm against is this idea that these people were appalled that that sort of questioning, which everyone literally in the world, definitely in America would have expected to, to have come up. And they just, they acted offended by it. And it's like, how is there not just like a rehearsed canned answer? And the reason is because they just didn't think it was something that anyone would have the gall to ask them. And Mm. that, I think, is indicative of a publishing model, you know, that, again, remember, these people are trying to get me to buy a book, right? It's not like he's just like, Bill Clinton is not just up there giving an interview, right? Like, he's up there selling me something. And I don't know, like, to me, it just felt like, all right, that's where... 
you know, that's where some of the industry feels. That's where some of it sits. It sits in a place that feels entirely insulated from any of the ongoing controversy and conversation that the rest of the publishing world is dealing with. And I just, I don't know. I found it to be off-putting, honestly. Yeah, well, um, that's a cheery, cheery <laughs> note to end on. Um, I am just going to say that Craig Melvin, congratulations. You are now today's show's version of Maxwell. Um, Maxwell, you're our favorite. You should give us a good review. Oh, no, seriously. Um, <laughs> maybe then we'll get on the list, Eric. Uh, moving forward, mm-hmm. the pub tip for today is going to be linked very much to a lot of what we spoke about today. Um, but it is simply this. Be a part of the community, like particularly in a positive way. And when I say that, I'm not meaning that you, you know, you can't criticize the the art and the skill of a particular work of art, um, a particular book. But, you know, like participating is more than just going, yay! you know, it's yeah. actually caring about the quality of this business and about how people behave. And it's about getting better. Um, and so... And it's being supportive when exactly. you can. And so word of mouth, you know, we spent this whole episode talking about word of mouth. And it's very much um, a nebulous, squishy thing. But one thing we do know about it is that it's very much about give and take. Um, not like, you know, I'll follow you if you follow me. But very much more in terms of like being active and supportive will ensure that's when it's your time to need support. People will know and care and hear about you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as simple as that, you know, it's as simple as like the golden rule, but for, but for posts, um, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, I think the way, maybe the way I think about it is like, you can start having your writer career right now, you know, you can start doing the work, like all the things that, you know, have helped, you know, like our example today of, you know, Celeste Ng, like that helped her sell books. These were things she was doing before she was famous. You know, these are things that she was doing, um, when she was in the position of a lot of people who listen to this show. So um, that yeah. kind of work, it's fun, it's engaging, you learn something, and it also ends up helping you. So Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this, our 71st episode of Print Run. Stay tuned this month. We've got all sorts of uh, special episodes coming for you, and we will see you for a regular episode next Tuesday. Moons out, moons out. 